0: Hi, I'm Emily Roger, host of The Boiling Point podcast. My co-host, Dave Vale and I will bring you thoughtful discussions with leaders who are positively impacting our world. This is The Boiling Point, where leadership and inspiration meet. Dave, so I was thinking about you this morning, actually, and just how excited I always get to record these episodes with you, and then also the time that I get to spend with you doing this along with the guests. And I was thinking about how one of the many things that I love about you is that you pick up the phone and call people. And how like, even just, I mean, last Friday, and you do this occasionally, which I love, and you don't text ahead of time or email ahead of time and say, like Emily, are you available? It's like, you think of someone (laughs) and you just call. And I love that because it's like, Yeah, you're one of few people who do that. Like I do that because I love to talk on the phone, but how it's just such a great way to actually be able to catch up.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad (laughs) i probably call you because you're open to it. Not I put, you know, people will just let you go to voicemail or whatever. And, you know, and you know how sometimes it's really hard to describe something effectively by a text or whatever. There's some context and all this sort of stuff. And I love how you started this conversation because we're going to talk about communication and strategy and that thing. I, I'm guessing our guests will shed some light, but sometimes you just want to, you just want to talk to someone and you want to say, Hey, and, and then other things come out of our conversation. So yes, I, I, I can remember driving to Quebec city and thinking, I got it. I want to talk to him about this and, and you, you picked up, which is really nice. So uh, I try to, and then, but actually, you you know what, maybe just the the world's line up in a way, our worlds, because people are so busy. That's the other thing. And I remember when, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when um, they brought texting in and I remember thinking, it'll never work. Why don't people just, you know, and, and now I'm like, I don't want to listen to voicemail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why don't they just text me the information, right? Or you get it changed where voicemail to text and all this kind of stuff. So I have a little bit of a hack in there as well. So you're right. It's nice. You know, the, the, the hardest people I have connecting with are my parents. Who live in in the Yukon Territory, so northern Canada, and and I was saying to my wife the other day, I go, you know, it's a good thing. It just means they are so busy, and uh, in their late seventies, and it's always ah, Dave, we're out, we're just going hiking, and we're you know, it's like, and you met my dad Emily, because we interviewed him uh, around mediation and, and what he's doing as a retired uh, in his retirement. So I've actually have to change the strategy. Now I'm going to start texting. Are you guys free? Or can you actually talk to me? Because Right. I get in the five minute conversations like, okay, yeah, don't worry. I'll, I'll, work, I'll work my calendar around you guys. Well,
0: and I can always tell the people who aren't, who I call, who are not used to receiving a phone call because they answer and they're like, is everything okay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, let's just <a> say hi.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? Is there, what's happening? Yeah. That's a very good point. Very good point.
0: But today's guest, Jackie. Oh,
2: Herskovitz Russell. Jackie, is that how you say your last name? Uh, yeah, it is. But I actually I should take that out. I just go by Jackie Russell because it's so much easier. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Welcome
0: to the boiling point. Thank you for having me. So grateful to be here. And you are joining us from Boston, Massachusetts. As a kid, we went to my first baseball game was at Fenway Park. And I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be the highlight of my
2: life. (laughs) It is a magical place, Fenway Park.
0: Yeah. So you are the founder and the president of Teak Media and Communications. And so as you know, from listening to previous episodes of The Boiling Point, we have our guests just introduce themselves and their companies. So yeah, tell us about you. Tell
2: us about Teak Media and Communications. TEAK is a PR firm. We represent nonprofits and responsible companies only. Um, We're certified B Corps, like Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, Seventh Generation. We're a company with a triple bottom line, which means every decision we make from which cleaning products we use to the clients we represent, we ask ourselves, will this help people? Will this help the planet? And can we make a profit doing this rather than just, oh, can we make money? Which is how you know most businesses operate. Um, no judgment there, but just reality. And we also are a founding member of the Boston chapter of conscious capitalism. So we represent only nonprofits and responsible companies. And by represent, I mean we get them print, TV, radio, we get them media coverage, traditional media. And then also we do social media, organic and digital. We do content for newsletters and digital marketing and annual reports. And then should something go wrong, we do crisis communications.
1: I was just going to say the full gamut, Jackie, like you really support responsible organizations in a whole bunch of facets. And I would expect that um, you mentioned that last piece, which just kind of struck me as, oh yeah, like how do you communicate if something's not going well? You probably get those panic phone calls over the years about, we need some help. We need, you know, how do we message this properly? Is that a common thing? Just out of curiosity, I know it's kind of maybe an odd place to start.
2: (laughs) You know what? With nonprofits, unfortunately, like we did a lot of work with schools with special needs kids. And so sometimes things do, you know, happen there that are troubling or that need to be communicated in a different way. Yeah, I would say that, you know, it happens. Like, what do you, how do you say this? Also, there's a lot of, uh, with nonprofits, wanting to be very respectful of their clientele, of the people that they serve. So they often don't want to tell the whole story or the real story. But if you're not telling what's wrong, it's very hard to raise money. So there's a challenge there. And that's not necessarily crisis communications, but it is help in messaging with with still keeping respect for the people that you're serving. Yeah. How did you get into this line of work? Oh, gosh, I was so lucky. Honestly, I was a reporter, a print reporter uh, for a newspaper, and I left to do, I was doing book editing. I was editing books for this small uh, publisher outside of Boston, and they wanted me to do their PR, and I was like, I don't want to do PR from my experience as a reporter, and I was young, I was only 30. I was like, Oh, I think PR people aren't that smart. And, you know, I'm a reporter, and I had this attitude about it. And he's like, no, no, you really need to do the PR. So I was like, Okay, so I started doing it. And just for my work as a reporter, like I went about it that way without actually knowing how I was supposed to be doing it. And um, I got really good results. One of those beginner luck things like you don't know what that is supposed to be hard. So it wasn't. Anyway, so I started doing it. And then I said, oh, you know what? I can do this on my own. I can start my own company. And he, the publisher said, okay, great. Keep doing my stuff though. We'll be your client. And I want to introduce you to my friend who is the head of a communications for a nonprofit and she needs some help. I'm like, super. So they bring me in and the friend was the VP of communications for the Jimmy Fund out of Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which in Boston and in the world, frankly, it's one of the best and largest cancer institutes in the country. And they did a lot of fundraising for the Jimmy Fund, which is the nonprofit fundraising arm for cancer research for children's cancers. And they have all sorts of fun events. And they brought me in to help with the Scooper Bowl, which was a all-you-can-eat ice cream event. In downtown Boston, where nine different ice cream vendors came together, donated their ice cream, and people paid five dollars for all you can eat, you know. And anyway, so we got them press and but it was at the time it was me. And that event and working with the Jimmy Fund, I had felt like I found my calling, that this is what I was meant to do. I am meant to be working with nonprofits and helping them get the word out there. And that's why I've done everything that I've been doing all this time. Here's why I'm doing it, and I think I was right because I've been doing it now for 25 years, and it's been, you know, great, very extremely rewarding, very meaningful work.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, even even the way you're describing it, you can tell it's, uh, you know, there's just like there's a kind of this enthusiasm, and passion for something that, and you're talking about an event that happened probably over 25 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> was this like where it became like the, a thing? Like you said, okay, now I'm going to launch this thing.
2: Yeah, and this is really the magical part too, is that not only was my first client the Jimmy Fund, which is a very big deal, Jerry from Ben and Jerry's, one of my assignments was to get him radio interviews and to bring him around Boston for two days in the morning during drive time morning. That I don't even know if drive time morning still exists on the radio, um, but at this time, there was, you know, all sorts of like seven, ten different radio stations in Boston. We went from one to the next and the next, bringing them ice cream and getting Jerry interviews on the radio. And he would talk about the ice cream event and, you know, bring everybody down. Amazing human being, of course, he is. And he, unbeknownst to me, wrote a letter to the um, head of communications for Dana-Farber and said, this woman did a great job. You know, best PR we've had, that sort of thing. And Dana Farber became my client. We, had, we were with Dana Farber and did so many events, so many things for 17 years. <laughs> wow. So it really opened up a lot for me.
0: Yeah. Hey, Jackie, I am curious before we really dive into Teak Around. You said beginner's luck. And so now looking back, what strengths do you have that really made you and make you still so good at what you do?:
2: Well, in this line of work, I think you have to be extremely persistent and focus on the goal. You know how they say there are two kinds of people: people who see what they want and people who see what stands in the way of what they want. Like my husband says, you're the only person I know who walks to the Apple Store, looks and sees that giant crowd like, I don't see the crowd, I see the computer. And I figure out how to get to the computer I want and stand there in line until I get. And he looks at the Apple store and says, oh, my God, it's going to take forever to get through this. I'm not going. And, you know, people say that about other things like, oh, there's bagels. There's a line for the bagels. Some people see the bagel. Some people see the line. I see just innately. I see what I want. And that is what I focus on. I'm just lucky that way. So. In this line of work, you really do need to do that because there's so much that can distract you or discourage you from getting what you want for your clients. And I see it, you know, I see it in my employees. I see the challenges that they feel. They're like, oh, but this one said no. And, you know, again, like you hear people say in sales, the the game really starts once you've been told no. That's when the game begins. But some people, to them, that's the end. So it's really nature, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, another thing that just to pick up on that, that line of uh, thought is um, start. you start to be aware of like, you know, sometimes, you know, knowing too much is not a good thing. Right. And it starts You start thinking, well, okay, I'm sure I'm going to run into these barriers. And naturally you do, or at least I do. And, you know, as I'm hearing it, it's like, I kind of think of growth and fixed mindset and you clearly have a growth, growth mindset. And that just ability to, to see what's possible and how important that would be to your line of work. I'm curious about where B Corp intersected and, and for listeners, we've done a lot of interviews uh, with B Corps and I've, I've, it's been such a neat introduction, but maybe you could describe for listeners what B Corp is and then how you felt, obviously, was an important critique to be B Corp. B Corp actually
2: goes back to Jerry and Ben and Jerry's in that when... Ben and Jerry's sold to Unilever, gosh, back in, I don't remember, late 1990s, like 2000, something like this. They had had a fiduciary responsibility to sell to Unilever because they had to give their shareholders the best profit they could. That was the way the business was set up. You've got to deliver for the shareholders. And after they did that and they felt like they sold out and everybody blamed them for selling out, but they really had no choice. This is how I've read. And it was explained to me. Um, and so they said, why can't there be a company or an outline for a company, a foundation for for companies by which the responsibility to the shareholder is not the only thing they're beholden to? So that's where the, the bottom line for the B Corp came in, in that it's not just to deliver for the shareholders, but all stakeholders and your employees are a stakeholder, the environment is a stakeholder, your vendors are stakeholders. It's not just can we make the most money as possible, but taking the whole picture into it and are you delivering for all of those stakeholders? Which frankly is more challenging, you know, in many ways. If you're just focused on on money, it's easier from bottom. It just is easier. But is it easier for the long run? Is it easier for your life? Is it easier for your soul when you have to look at yourself in the mirror every day? Is that easier? I would say no. So anyway, that's where B Corp uh, was developed 2008, 9, something like that, 10, for that purpose. It's a certification process, whereas a company like mine has to answer every three to four years, we get reevaluated. We've been at B Corp since 2013, so periodically we've got to go through it again and we've even been audited and like they did a sweep of Boston one year and they came into um, Boston offices and they looked again at your cleaning products they looked at your uh, manuals for your employees they asked my employees questions like does she have offshore accounts and like things like that you know really interesting but they do look at how much water do you use do you have any solar panels like all of that. So they look at how is the company being run in terms of how you're treating your employees? Oh, what is the pay difference between you and the, you know, the lowest paid employee? There's got to be a ratio there that works. So everything gets looked at and evaluated. And if you get lucky enough to get certified, I think it's a badge of honor. Yeah. So you started
0: working with nonprofits and then included sustainable companies
2: as well right so then because we started in 97 um and once we started reading about the b corp thing and then since it was went back to jerry i actually called jerry and i was like jerry i see that you've done this you know and I, we had this conversation he really encouraged me to try to get teak certified and i was like oh we're so small we won't get you know one of those things and um, he's like just try And we did. And we we got certified. So then we've just kept it going more. And so through that, I was introduced to a lot of companies that were doing the right thing. And I was so grateful for that, because I truly, truly believe in the value of nonprofits. And also, I think they have a challenge in that they have to fundraise. So they have one hand looking for money constantly, it only leaves one hand to do the work. It's a dual mission, right? Whereas businesses have a revenue stream that keep them going and there that funds their work. So if we're looking to nonprofits to save the planet, I think we should be looking at businesses as well to help along. In other words, I mean nonprofits, I think it's something like, well, in the. US, 10 to twelve percent of the um, GDP. So 90% of the money is not held with nonprofits in our country. That it's all in so we, we need to be looking at businesses to make the real solutions here happen. And that's where B Corp and conscious capitalism come in. And as we're seeing now with Patagonia, for example, coming really to the front line to help climate change in a big, big way, to help reduce climate change, I should say. In a big way, we need the power of the businesses to do this. So that's why TEAK now represents responsible companies as well. Gosh, sorry, that took me forever to answer that question. No, 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 no. We spoke briefly before you
0: came on and I was sharing about my program that I run on the rise. And for sure, that problem of you're trying to do all of the work, which is so much work. And then you're also trying to make it sustainable and bring funding in so that you can provide. And I had conversations with clients around this too, who run nonprofits of how uncomfortable it can be to ask for funding, to ask for money.
1: Yeah, true. I would say that here's where, where Teak would enter uh, as a as a, a great opportunity to support on the rise and in that ask, I, I would expect. Is that is that a lot of the work that you do, Jackie?
2: Two things. One is, Emily, you're not asking for yourself. you're asking for the good of others. And that's a huge difference. I don't think it's uncomfortable to ask to help others, much less so than helping yourself. So just you know keep that in mind, and I always say that to our directors who are like, oh. anyway, plus people can say no, and you're just giving them the opportunity to do the right thing. They don't have to take it, you know. But anyway, back to how to seek help. So then if we get the word out about all the great work that they're doing, then people come to them. Corporations come to them. They want to be involved because we build the brand and the recognition. And then all of a sudden, it's awesome to be involved in something like that. It helps the corporation. It gives them the halo effect. Um, And so it's a win-win for everybody. And people really do want to help. They really do want to get involved in something bigger than themselves and it gives them their lives purpose. So truly you're giving them an opportunity to feel good about themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, with that of like being really clear, I think of the intentions as to why you are running a program.
2: The so what, I call it the so what. Yep. That was like when I was a print reporter. One of my first editors said that in the first paragraph of the story, don't say just what happened, say why what happened matters. Where's so what? And a a lot of uh, nonprofits don't connect the dots that way. They just throw out the challenge that they have, but they don't necessarily help people understand why that matters or why they should care about it.
0: Yeah. So connecting the
2: dots is a big thing.
0: Well, in hearing you say about the so what, there's the what, the so what, the now what. And I feel like T, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys come in with the now what. We help people,
2: yeah, make the create their messaging, get it out there in a larger way, um, so that they can attract more participants, more donors, more customers of your business. We help them build their story too, their brand. You know, sometimes like the nonprofits are so busy doing what they're doing. Also companies that they don't see what's so valuable about what they do because they take it for granted sometimes we come in as third party people and say, "My God, that is magic." and they're like, "Oh, that's just what we do every day, you know
1: yeah, it's so important. actually, I did a lot of work in the nonprofit world before getting into entrepreneurship, and it was ironically, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking this is kind of this is such an interesting conversation because we started talking with Greg Hemmings, who owns Hemmings House, who was part of this podcast and really helped breathe life into it. And he's a, a B Corp ambassador in Canada. And he, we started meeting all these B Corps, and um, and I, I just, and then I started learning about conscious co- capitalism. And I think I listened to a podcast. And I own a company called Vision Coaching. We offer uh, leadership coaching, and executive coaching, and coaching training, and the sort of thing. And, we should, and we—I'm sure we will—but we haven't actually done the b of B Corp certification. Having said that, I, all those conversations really inspired me to think. Well, what are we doing? Like, I got into this work because I wanted to give back, and then, then you're so busy hustling and out there making money, and you know, how do you share? You know, what you do and how you do it, and all these important things. And and then what I found is we we're kind of giving, kind of sporadically. So you know a number of things. Oh, let's do let's you know, sponsor this. Let's do this. So you you want to give back, but how do you give back in a better way? And anyway,s sorry, I'm making this a little longer than it should be. But it, we came up with this idea: like let's have the million dollar pledge, where we can get ten small businesses together, giving ten thousand a year for ten years, and we funnel it through the United Way, who is that umbrella to a lot of these nonprofits, who actually will then. Support nonprofits that are you know that are proving that they can, they're meeting their objectives, and what's neat nice about this model is it is that it kind of gets it helps the nonprofits um, not have to be out there on their own because they they're actually essentially giving grants for a number of multiple years so just to be a part of that ecosystem and it's just something happened in this region is really awesome and to your point, people are doing this amazing work on the ground people don't know about it. And for you to be shit sh- like shining light on that is awesome. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokémon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. What's important for you in the story that needs to be communicated about, you know, what a, what a particular agency or nonprofit is doing? Like, how, how do you pull that and, and help craft that message for
2: you? We often lead in through the people of the stories of the people that they're serving and what it means to them in their lives and how they're making a difference. So it's about telling the personal stories, and it's also about telling the numbers, the facts, and the figures. Where does the money go? What's the bottom line? What's the impact that they're making? And helping the nonprofits connect all of those dots so they're getting the full story out there and so that other people will care and want to get involved.
1: Yeah, and I think people do want to line up to give. That's my belief. they are not naïve. But they all, they to your point, I remember fundraising for a, an agency once, and that was the question that kept on coming so where does the money go? And then I had to say, Well, it goes actually to the national body and in, in Canada in Ottawa. and Ottawa. You could just see the interest just kind of disappear, right? Like yes. they, people seem to want to know. I wanted to know, I going here, I want to know specifically what's happening as a result. And, and my experience with the United Way has been great because they're able to come back to us as a you know, essentially, a bunch of investors in these programs to say, "Hey, here's how the literacy rate has changed," and it's much—it's so much easier to attract other business owners when when they can, you know, learn about the impact. So you're 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 doing that for these nonprofits. That's brilliant.
2: There's two things I want to say to that. One is the formula is really simple and very satisfying to the audience. If you put your story in this, the problem, what's the problem you're trying to solve? What are the actions you're taking to solve the problem? And what are the results? What are the solutions you're receiving? Problem, action, solution. That makes a very complete and satisfying story to the listener. Number two is um, Nick Kristoff from the New York Times did a study about this. And he said, people give to one person, they don't give to a million people. So if they feel like it's overwhelming for them to make a difference. Then they just like climate change, really hard story to tell because how can one person make a difference? So what did the initial climate people do? They used that polar bear on the, I'm sure you can bring this to mind, a polar bear on a floating piece of ice, right? That was the image for climate change for a long time because it personified, it made you care about that polar bear and you could care about climate change. And this is before it became a big, big deal and we all are like, oh God, we're in trouble. But that was early on. It was very hard to get people to care about it and actually give financially. And so he did this study after um, the war in Rwanda. He did a story about Rwanda overall, nothing, nobody gave any money. He changed that story, let in through one seven-year-old girl, flood of money, because people wanted to help that one girl. So in nonprofits telling their story, they have to dig down into the one person, the family, the changes that they're actually making on the ground, rather than the big problem. Because if it feels overwhelming, people glaze over.
1: That's good advice, Emily.
2: Yeah, it actually, like it makes me emotional
0: <laughs> because it's not thinking of the like, yeah, like what is that one story, even for me in my program of why I do what I do. And it's, you know, for people who really know the story and know the impact that how many people want to give, like how many people reach out saying, how can I support the program? But yeah, the work, the time, the effort, the everything that it takes to package it all together and put it out there. Is uh, yeah, I feel like you and I are going to connect after this podcast.
2: <laughs> I'm happy to help in any way. What are some of the
0: challenges that you face in your line of work?
2: Well, for nonprofits, the challenge can be their budgets. It's easier to run a business when you have giant budgets that you're dealing with when your clients don't have you know constraints on their finances, so that's a challenge, but. It's a choice too, I guess, that we make. What about like when it comes to like sustainable companies? Sustainable companies, it's fascinating also there in terms of what they get themselves jammed up in when they're trying to communicate. You know, and the whole greenwashing is like a thing. And some of them overstate what they're doing. And then on the other side, some of them understate because they're afraid Of greenwashing. So they don't want to say too much because they don't want to look like the bad guys who are greenwashing. So it's like the good guys who don't want to talk about it. So then you only have the people who aren't as self aware and don't care as much about the authenticity of what they're doing that are getting the messages out there. So, I mean, not always, but there is a thing there. So it's helping companies. Talk about what they're doing in a way that will be heard and appreciated and understood and believed. Um, Yeah. And one of those things is we say talk as much as you do. So if your company um, does gives 10% of their profits to whatever the cause is, then only talk about that in 10% of your messaging, not in 100% of your messaging. As I was saying before, I think there's got to be a desire to do the right thing and to be responsible for the messaging that you're putting out there. And when you do that, I think the companies are really rewarded and they're believed and you know, people go for brands that are doing the right thing, but once they once they blow it, you know, then it's hard to earn back that trust. Yeah. And with
0: that, even maybe for the listeners or for anyone who's not clear of maybe explain what uh, what greenwashing is. I know there's some big companies in the news and recently for it. But yeah, if you could explain that.
2: Um, It's trying to overstate or market yourself as being like clean or green or good for the environment when maybe you're just less bad. And you could say that instead. You know, don't overproject how good you are if you really aren't. But if you're less bad, okay, so say you're less bad.
1: You brought up, I think, an interesting point: is not overstating, um, but not understating, and trying to find that place is a kind of a journey that you have to do as a, you know, especially if you're maybe the, the spokesperson for a company. You know, even a small little company like mine, and what we're doing in the story I just shared with you with the million dollar pledge, I think, is really important. And I just, and for what it's worth, and I'd I just be curious, you know, what your advice or what your thoughts are, Jackie, but, you know, there are times when I'm like, ah, you know, I think someone might be reading the wrong message in here. Like, I'm really want to promote this. And the fact that we're connected to it is great, but I've kind of become a little bit of a spokesperson because it, you know, it was, I, you know, I was, I was a co-founder of it and then, but I, I hesitate sometimes because I'm worried that it's coming off wrong and the part of me that speaks the loudest often says, just don't bring it up. Like, even today, I was thinking, why should I bring this up? This will sound self-promotional. Like, and yet, no, this is a really cool initiative. And this is a neat thing happening. And there's really good outcomes as a result of it. And it's all these amazing companies that have, have come together to do this with an amazing nonprofits and the United Way. But do, do you know what I'm getting at? Like, you I you do. a lot of times... And and I don't know what, how you talk people through that. So, because I've had members of this of the of Million the Dollar Pledge say, don't even, I don't even want my name out there with, associated with it. And I kind of sit back and I go, I respect that. But I, I, here's my view on it, is that, yes, this is a little uncomfortable talking about this because it feels self-serving or it can sound self-serving. And yet, I think it's more important than how I feel about that is to get this message out. And that's how I've justified it in my own head. You know, and maybe I'm justifying. I don't know. But um, anyways, do you come across that
2: all the time, especially with companies and especially earlier in the game with sustainable companies? But they would say, oh, either everybody's talking about it. Therefore, I don't want to talk about it. Like there was a store on Newbury Street, a fancy street in Boston, and all of their clothes were organic Made from organic materials. They had no plastic in the store. Like they really. This is years ago too, and they went into it hard. They never spoke about it. And one of my employees was in the store, and she said, "How come you guys don't promote the fact that you're?" And she said, "Oh gosh, everybody's doing it. So why should we talk about it?" It was totally not true. It's like one of those things. Like you, you think that you're you, since you're doing, you think everybody is, but it's not the case. But anyway, what you're saying is. Um, really common. And my advice to you on that is that you have a message to share and that's companies can really do the right thing by being involved in the greater community. And by you talking about it, you're going to help inspire other companies to also do that. And the more companies do that, the better off all the world is going to be. We need the power of business to get behind the work that nonprofits are doing and the, the, you know, the work that is good for people on the planet, or we're really in trouble. So it's, you kind of have to get over your uncomfortableness and understand that that's also part of your mission is to talk about the fact that businesses need to be doing this stuff. And also, since you, um you know, work, the, the other part of your work, which I'm assuming is also very helpful to people, you know, helping them become greater leaders and all of that. You could talk about the value in that too, as part of your overall mission of your company, not only the uh, million dollar pledge that you have and the work that you're doing on that side, but that all of your work is to help people feel more fulfilled and better and just lifts the energy of the planet. So I think it's part of your overall message
1: too. Yeah, no, that's good advice. And I like that. I really like that. Uh, if it's 10%, then you know, 10% of communication or whatever. I think that's really good advice. And ironically, what I find is people that are really committed, at least in my experience, anecdotally, people that are really committed to doing good are also correlated with people less likely to want to talk about publicly what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, and I don't know if that's real or not, but that's just been my experience. I'm like, you know, to your point, like, let's, let's be part of this. Let's, you know, like, this is good messaging. This is a good thing. This is a good thing to, you know, or else, or one of our clients, you know, are doing amazing work and they're like, "Eh, yeah, we don't really want to share that. I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) like that's an incredible objective that you're, you're, you know, and you know, here's what, here's how supporting this marginalized community or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we didn't get into for that. We don't want to do that. So you know what I mean? Like, it's just interesting. Like it's, it's almost like it's like goes with the giving back gene is uh, also, you know, kind of, Oh, I don't really want to talk about this at all. Right.
2: Yeah. It's definitely a challenge.
0: Yeah, that self-promotion feeling for sure, Dave. I can relate to that both with yeah the On The Rise program and other work and volunteer work and things like that that I do where, where it is this other flip side of when people know what it is that you're doing, it's almost like there's opportunities out there to help out that people don't even know about. But then when they hear about them, they're like, oh gosh, like I want to be involved in that. Or how do you do that? Or how can like... And it then once you start kind of planting those seeds, then it just sparks greater
2: change. Yes, exactly. You kind of have to get over your own uncomfortable feeling in order to inspire you in the movement.
0: Yeah. And so for for you, someone who is just so uh, persevering, what would be some communication tips? For people who are in the nonprofit sector, well, I mean, I think that goes across for anything. What are some communication tips that you notice within your clients that have made the most difference and impact for them?
2: Uh, For nonprofits, Mm -hmm. I would start with the so what, the problem, action, solution as your story, lead in through a person. Definitely, those are like tops. Get over your concern or learn to speak about the problems that you're solving without feeling like you are doing a disservice to the people you're actually helping. Like, if you can't talk about it, I'll give you an example. We worked with an organization and they would not allow us to talk about the neighborhoods that their children, the children that they served were living in as challenging neighborhoods. And the director said, our children are not challenged. They are resilient. And I'm like, yes, they're so resilient. And nobody gives money to resilient children. So you have to explain why they have to be resilient in the first place. Right? Like, it's that. And they're so concerned that they're going to do a disservice or make a stereotype or, you know, political correctness, whatever the reason is. they Their intentions are all terrific. But it's not helpful when you're trying to raise money or create a brand. You know, getting out, if there's no reason to have the nonprofit, why should people give money? So you got to figure out how to tell your story while serving the people. And the other thing is that we have worked with so many families, with children, with families who are in tough situations. And by enabling them, empowering them to tell their stories. They feel really, if they think it's cathartic, they they feel heard. You know, it's not often that they get to tell their story to people who are listening and care. So there's a beauty and a value to that as well.
1: Well, how do, uh, how do people learn more about Teak and more about you, Jackie?
2: Teakmedia.com is our website. And I have top 10 tips sheets for nonprofits and sustainable companies, which... You know, I could send to you and you could post or they could go and, you know, reach out to me at Jackie at Teak Media and I will send them, you know, just like straight up PDFs with the top 10 tips of what you should do. I think I also, I, I definitely also have one for crisis communications as we were talking there.
1: Well, I think we can add them. Can we, Jean-Vierre, to the the show notes. Yeah, the show notes. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. the term. <laughs> you know what? I, I just can't help but think of how what, you're, what you do is so important and, um, you know, helping people find their voice. I'm sure you really push people in all the right ways to, you know, find a, their way to share their story or the story of their clients and, and what they do. And I just I think it's so important. And um we need so much more of that, in, in my opinion, because I run across a lot where there's these little secrets, you know, and they're not meant to be a secret, but there's just organizations doing amazing work and no one knows about it.
2: Agreed. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for doing the great work that you guys are doing, really.
0: Thank you, Jackie. And so Dave and I, we always end with takeaways at the end of our podcast. So Dave, do you want to go? What's your takeaway from today?
1: (laughs) Well, there's a bunch of things that Jackie shared that, and and I, you know, I did get a chance to look at those, uh, you know, the top 10, Jackie. So I think hopefully people check that out, but the, so what problem action solution. I mean, it's simple. And I just feel like, uh, uh you know, and that relates to a whole bunch of, you know, just the ability to to share a story effectively. So I, I, that's kind of a, something that resonated with me.
0: Yeah. I think for me, it is, it is around this concept of storytelling and being more open to share things that I'm doing. And Dave, to encourage you and hold you accountable to share what it is that you are doing, because whether it is financially or time or like there's so many ways that people can contribute that they don't even know that there is something out there that they can contribute to Then they can't. And that ultimately, like people do want to help. Yeah, we live in a world where there are a lot of people who really want to give and make a change. And by staying small and not sharing what it is that we're doing and what organizations are doing, then ultimately we are just limiting everybody. So, yeah, that's my takeaway.
1: Great takeaway. And you were so, so true, right? Like this whole don't be a secret thing. Like I, I remember someone saying it to me early when I launched the coaching business, like just don't be a secret. And, uh, you know, and I was like, just whatever reason that helped me. You know, try to get out there and communicate a little more than I would feel comfortable with to, to Jackie. I know we're finishing up here, but I think you're also what I took away. I was just gonna add one more thing. You didn't say it this way, but I'm gonna take it this way because I think it's motivating for me. Which is like, get over yourself, Dave. Like, get over yourself. Go and tell the story. Like, come on. Like enough. <laughs> so that I think that you, you said you'll know, get you'll know, get kind of comfortable being uncomfortable, but. I think that's for me personally something that's important. Um, one last question is: I know you're in Massachusetts, but if an organized, a nonprofit from Atlanta, Canada, where we're from, or from other part of the world, wanted to reach out to you, is that like you'd encourage that?
2: Oh, definitely. We have clients all over the country, and who do work in. We have one client who says work in Madagascar, in Borneo, Indonesia, and Brazil, uh, and we've had clients doing work in Germany and Switzerland. So,
1: yeah, they're global. So, okay. So just, just in case someone's listening to it and going, oh, I'd like it, but I'm not in Boston. So that's, so it's your, you can do work anywhere and you guys do work everywhere, which is awesome to know. I can think of some people that that should know about tea.
0: Yeah. Same.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Jackie.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. Take care. Bye everybody. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or visit BoilingPointpodcast.com for more. You looking to
1: make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me host Mike C as we explore all areas of human wellness